Now it's time for the other side of the news and the other side of the issues. From the other side of Texas, with your host, Jay Leeson. Welcome in for the first time to the first show. I'm your host, Jay Leeson, with little sister Lauren Huff. Hey, guys. Across the way, working the boards, producing the show. We're broadcasting from the West Texas Accessory Depot Studios. Go see the folks at Accessory Depot on 82nd and Valencia in Lubbock. Other side listeners can get a free row of WeatherTech liners with the purchase of a bed cover. 806-866-9494. That's 806-866-9494-WTAccessoryDepot.com. So, the last time I signed off on this microphone here at AM580 Lubbock, I intended to run for office. That was in the end of September. I began to clear space and lay out for a run. I planned for a run. I stepped away from the show and backed off on writing columns and I began to shake the bushes of support, began to receive calls and make calls from friends and folks around Lubbock and uh, from the lobby down in Austin. And the one thing I didn't do was get a consultant because uh, I believe what I believe and I don't need somebody to tempt or threaten me with poll numbers to change my mind on what I believe. Because, and let me just go off on a rabbit trail here, other side of Texas truth number four well, this what's uh, one, two, and three? We'll get to it, little sister, but let me get four out of the way. Now, this state <laughs> is a hot mess politically because its elected quote-unquote leaders have a consultant-sized handhole in their backsides. More coming up on that. <laughs> to answer your question, little sister, number one, place of a party. You put your place and you see issues you through, vote your place. Through your place, that's right. But to, to quote a, to quote myself, a place carries a continuity of knowledge and passes it from generation to generation. How the place works and what makes it turn. And when there's disruption in that continuity, learning can transpire by costly lessons of what the place will and will not tolerate. And Something that places like ours cannot tolerate is going straight line party platform. You have to see the issues through the place through which you've been entrusted, really. Um, number two, be a Texican, not a Texacant, right? Absolutely. That's new for me. That's been, that's been something that stuck with me since you last signed off on these mics. To be a... Texican, not a Texacant. Oh, I thought you were calling me a Texacant. No, okay. you're not a Texacant. Okay. But I know some. Okay. Well. Uh, number three. The other side of the Texas truths we're going through here. Number three. There's a 17% rule. And it goes like this. 17% of people who vote Republican agree with the entire Republican economic platform. Now... That's a fact. That's 100% fact. What I'm going to speculate on is that 17% of people, 17% of people 
agree with the Democratic social platform. So, I mean, let's not let's not get ahead of ourselves. We'll talk more about a party, the State Republican Executive Committee, namely, uh, coming up with Scott Braddock in the next segment. Uh, number five, we talk red and we deposit blue. In <laughs> Lubbock, we talk so red, you would think... you. Not only would you think Ronald Reagan came from Lubbock, but that we created Ronald Reagan in our basement here in Lubbock. Like, that's how that's how red we talk. But then you begin to look around. And this isn't just Lubbock. This is other sides of Texas, too. Mid-sized markets, uh, more where you talk about towns and then counties. Uh, look, at, look at Lubbock. Texas Tech University. Higher education. Right. Uh, public education, agriculture programs, and then go look at your small vi- your small businesses, uh, non-taxable invoices, and then, or go look at your clients and your customers and who their employer is, and it's real easy to talk awfully red and deposit a lot of blue right here in Lubbock, Texas. But back to the point. I began to shake those bushes, make the calls, receive the calls. We had the family meetings. Little sister, I even went so far as to begin to lose weight. Lost Yeah, you lost pounds. a lot of weight. My tailor has made a fortune. <laughs> I mean, at least a tenth of a Bitcoin. At least. But then two things happened. And I, it gave me pause. And one of those was that I was approached about doing television, which I'd not really thought about before. But uh, the situation came up to do a commentary gig that would be the cro- a cross between John Oliver and Tim Russert with a West Texas drawl and a strong dose of rural aggression uh, in a sports jacket and jeans and boots. And uh, simultaneous to that, some... Uh, some larger outlets began to inquire about me writing for them. And all those conversations began to spark a lot of thought about how best to use my voice. What, what is the real option in front of me? And then another thing happened and just stick with me here, but I was laying in bed early one morning and our grace, she's 10, um, our oldest came into the bedroom to use our bathroom, which she usually does because she has to share a bathroom slash toilet with three younger brothers, all of whom have terrible aim or they just can't stay focused for the duration of each urination process. Now, we have terrible bed placement in our bedroom because we have this wall light in the master bath that just blasts out light. It's like the when the bathroom door opens and that light is on, it's like a prison yard light beaming over the bed, like E.T.'s spaceship is taking off from the shower. And, you know, really, like it would be better for your retinal health to look at the solar eclipse than to look at the light in our bedroom, the light coming out of our bathroom into our bedroom. i give you all that detail to say this. So Grace goes in one morning, turns on that light, and there the Alpha Canis Majoris, boom, onto the bed startles me and i look up trying to figure out if i was dying or if i'd had a seizure but in that i looked and i saw her little silhouette and in particular i saw her legs and i just noticed in that split second a prison yard light blaring down upon me 
uh, I thought to myself, my goodness, there's a lot more inches between those ankles and those knees than there used to be. Where did all those inches come from? And I, I just thought about that over and over again in my head, all those inches. And look, I'm a lot of things today, and five different people might have seven different opinions of me. But for me, my number one is to be the chief of my little leasing tribe. Right. And uh, laying in bed, I thought about those inches and how I have four sets of those little legs where those inches just keep on coming. And I recall this conversation I'd had with a buddy who was telling me about a message that his minister had shared about parenting. And the minister had said, they are children. They are, but yes, in our homes, but for a while. And, you know, we're in the middle of these precious years, Charity and I are. I mean, we're coming on 17 years, and it's hard to keep in perspective how precious something is whenever you're right in the middle of it. I mean, you and I were doing some prep to launch this program yeah, this last weekend. A guy walks up to the station, Damien, yeah. and if I could do a Scottish accent, I could do it. I'm Irish, but, I, you know, my tongue's too West Texas fat now. Uh <laughs> To even approach an Irish or a Scottish accent. But he, he came on a, what do you call it, a, a bucket list. Yeah, it was his bucket list, yeah. his 50th birthday, yeah. to be here. And we just happened to be here. Mm -hmm. And so we let him in, and he was like, he was losing his yeah. composure. He yeah. was going to cry because we've got all, here at AM580 Love, we've got the original, all the production uh, equipment. From where Buddy Holly used to do his Sunday parties here, right, right out on the other side of the wall, and that's that a huge sitting, deal yeah. to For people. Him, it, yeah, I mean, he was like, I can really come in and take pictures. I'm really fine, man. That's that's just fine. But I mean, for for perspective's sake, what I'm saying is that you see people from time to time who pat their heart and get a little emotional whenever they see us with all of our kiddos in this little dynamic. Uh, or they might be like, tell those kids to be quiet. Uh, but you know, the thing that you always hear is these years are, you cannot get these back. These are, these are precious years. And so I guess you could say to borrow some Hank Williams via George Jones, I saw the light, right? Yeah. You need your own album. We'll work on it. And that's when I decided to nix the idea of running for state office. Cause it's the thing that I was always run up against these are business building years these family years first uh, business years as well and i nixed that idea i want to say this very plainly to listeners as we begin this program i nixed that idea and not just listeners but people who are made to listen to this program like it's part of your job i made the idea to nix that not just for the immediate future but until my little Charlie's legs grow and grow and grow, he's four years old, and he walks across the stage. And even by then, that may not be the best use of uh, what I believe and putting it forward into the public square for people to think about. It. I'm just trying to make a contribution, trying to be another voice that can, can help have these conversations in Texas. And um, even then, once he's gone, I may not want to do it. So... Instead, I decided to double down on the direction I'd already headed in, and uh, I went to work on this platform, the Other Side of Texas platform, to speak up for the other sides of Texas and to give a voice to people in overlooked parts of the state. 
And so this radio program is just part of that platform. We'll have other things to come. Uh, you know, there'll be more columns and there'll be some television. Then there, we'll have other people who contribute from around the state. And I'm really excited about it. I think that this is going to be really great with where we are in the state right now. Because if this state's going to come to its senses, it's going to come from voices out in the country who can bring some pragmatism to the table and really believe place as a number one principle in their own platform. And uh, we'll cover the other sides of issues and mid-size and rural areas, and uh, we'll, we'll see how this thing goes. I, I think it's going to go really well. And we'll do it all from the other side of Texas.com. I hope you can go to that page, and when the prompt comes up, just give it a second. Just think about it before you just click off of it. I really want you to think about subscribing, the things that you like. I hope that you share with your friends. You'll have this show and, and other columns and other contributions delivered right to your inbox, uh, to your email box. And we will not pass your email along. We respect you and your email privacy. And uh, you can also go find Other Side of Texas on Facebook and Twitter. And here's my promise to you, listeners. If you take the time to listen to this show in the midst of the inches growing in your life um, and all the things that you've got going on in your life, number one, you will be entertained. Uh, number two, you'll be engaged with thoughtful and unique and original content. You may not agree with it, but I think that you'll really be glad that you listened. Um, something to, to bring up at your shiner parties or your wine parties or whatever <laughs> kind of parties, your keystone parties. And number three, you'll get the other side of Texas truth every time, 100% guaranteed. With all that said, I just want to start the first segment of the first program by thanking you uh, for listening. I'm really honored that you join in anytime you need to get a hold of us. You reach me at jay at othersideoftexas.com. You can reach little sister Lauren Huff at show at othersideoftexas.com. So stick with us. Big show right ahead of you. Scott Braddock, a quorum report comes up uh, in the next segment. And then we'll have State Representative Poncho Navarez, who get this. If the border wall route, as it's presently proposed, goes through, his home, an elected official's home, could be on the other side of the wall, on the That's south crazy. side of the wall. All this... Coming up, glad you're with us. Stick right here. Other side of Texas, coming right back. Molded out of red clay and baked in the West Texas sun to perfection is the other side of Texas with Jay Leeson. segment of Braddock on Texas is brought to you by Flint Boot and Hat Shop. These guys have been building hats since 1994, repairing boots since forever. My dog chewed my boots. The hill and the pools on my boots and Jared and his guys made my ostrich boots great again. Go see them. 30, 35, 34th Street. That's 34th in Flint. Thus, Flint Boot and Hat Shop. FlintHat.com. Scott Braddock is editor of QuorumReport.com. No stranger to West Texas, but it is his debut on the other side of Texas. How are you doing there, Braddock? I'm doing well. Always good to be talking to the folks in West Texas. Good. We're so glad that you're with us, Scott. Tell us 
lots of things going on here. Uh, sure. What is going on with Governor Abbott getting involved in Republican primaries? And is this uncommon for a governor to do this? Very uncommon. I can't remember it ever happening where a governor of Texas inserted himself into the Republican primaries, you know, the, the, the primaries happening within his own party. And not only that, um, you know, basically uh, endorsing people who have criticized him uh, for various things, including uh, his commitment to ethics reform. And that's the common theme uh, across the three races in which the governor is uh uh, endorsing the challenger to a sitting Republican in the Texas House. Uh, just this week, uh, he uh, endorsed uh, Lyle Larson's challenger, Larson, uh, somebody who, from, who is from San Antonio, who has questioned uh, the governor's uh, transparency uh, in his office, questioned the fact that, you know, of the people that the governor has appointed to various boards and commissions, uh, those people have given the governor in his campaign account about $14 million. Larson says uh, that that's something that ought to be fixed. And by the way, when I talked to Larson, he had said that the governor, uh, this governor, is not the person he's going after. He's saying that this is something that's a structural problem, that, that all governors have done this. If you look back uh, at Governor Bush, Governor Perry especially, and Governor Abbott now, it's a power that they have, that they exercise, that their uh, uh, appointees are people who also, uh, you know, give big, write big checks to their campaigns. Um, Larson says that something ought to be changed. And, and he says, as Republicans are in charge of the executive branch, and in charge of the legislative branch of government, that they ought to take the opportunity to fix that. Um, but this is somebody who's crossways with Governor Abbott now, and so Abbott's endorsing his challenger. Same thing is true of Sarah Davis in Houston, uh, who has uh, made you know made she made it clear that she questions uh, the governor's um, uh, commitment to transparency and ethics. Um, and Wayne Faircloth down in Galveston uh, on the coast in uh, Galveston and Chambers counties, uh, Faircloth had also made some comments. Uh, about the governor and his commitment to ethics. And what do you know, uh, the governor in the races of Davis and Faircloth is endorsing uh, both of their challengers as well. Unusual. And it seems, Jay, like it's sending a message to other Republican members of the Texas House. In what this way? Is where, this, this is where we get down to brass tacks. It's sending a message to them that you can't question the governor ever, that you need to be in lockstep with the governor. You know the whole thing that you you cite uh, Pete Laney, the former speaker, all the time saying, members vote your districts. Uh, really what the governor wants is not for the members to do that. He wants the members to uh, vote with the governor and vote with his agenda. Uh, and so stepping out of line with the governor will not be uh, tolerated. And by the way, the governor's not just endorsing the challengers to these Republicans. He's also spending money against them. Uh, in Sarah Davis's race in Houston, uh, he's been buying television advertisements on behalf of the challenger to uh, Representative Davis. Um, and uh, down in Galveston, we'll see if he does the same thing. I can imagine some of that might happen in San Antonio as well with uh, Chairman Larson. You know, one we are broadcasting from west texas but give us a lay of the land so far as west university place with sarah davis and then san antonio with lyle larson i would tend to think that those are more moderate areas areas and that uh, you you might lose a republican seat if pushed too hard well i think in um in larson's uh, case with the district the way it's drawn specifically in san antonio in that area uh, it's probably a district that's safe for a Republican no matter what. That, that's probably. Uh, in the uh, case of the district in Houston that you mentioned with Sarah Davis, that's a district that went for Hillary Clinton 
in 2016. Uh, at the same time, the Republican State House representative, um, uh, Chair Davis, uh, was carrying the district uh, and did so handily. So she was able to pull that off in a very difficult election environment. And if you look down uh, on the coast with uh, Wayne Faircloth's seat uh, in Galveston, that's another one that could potentially be in play for Democrats this fall. Um, so if the governor gets his way, and Sarah Davis goes down in her primary to somebody who's more of a right-wing challenger, and Faircloth goes down to someone who's more of a right-wing challenger. And that's two seats that very well could go to the Democratic side uh, in November. Um, but I think it's important to say that the, the governor probably doesn't care, um, because, you know, both parties, and Jay, you and I have talked about this many times, the, both parties, the Republicans and the Democrats, they both have their purity tests. You know, they both have uh, issues uh, on which, uh, you know, people uh, within the parties are not allowed to step out of line. For example, on the Democratic side, you have uh, two major contenders, uh, you know, supposed major contenders uh, for governor. One is Lupe Valdez, who kind of checks all the boxes for liberals and, and uh, progressives. Um, but you do have another person who's maybe a better candidate, uh, the son of the former governor, uh, former Governor Mark White. His son, Andrew White, uh, is running for governor as someone who says that he's personally a pro-life Democrat. Uh, now, he says that, you know, that the government shouldn't legislate uh, women's rights. That's the way he'd put it. Uh, but as soon as he announced for governor, you had people within the Democratic Party saying that, look, uh, you're not welcome here, uh, that you uh, have to be pro-choice when it comes to the issue of abortion, if you want to even run, uh, you know, for the Democratic nomination in the state. Uh, for Republicans, they can do that because they have more office holders, more people who are in power. And if they lose a few here and there, they, they probably don't care. They're still in charge. For Democrats, they need to grow their numbers. They need to get some people into office before they can start having their purity tests, but they do it anyway. You know, one of the things that has been said that I think is pretty wise is, you know, when you're starting a new church anywhere in Texas, uh, or anywhere for, anywhere for that matter, but especially you know in places like East Texas or West Texas and in small communities, you're starting a new church. One of the first things you do is you put out a sign out front that says, sinners welcome. In other words, people who don't think just like we do are still welcome to come here. You get people in the door, uh, and then you start working on them. You try to grow your numbers that way. Politics is the same. You try to grow your numbers. Uh, winning elections is about um, addition, not subtraction. Right now, it seems like both Republicans and Democrats are interested in uh, subtraction, but only the Republicans can afford to do it. Scott Braddock carrying on here at Scott Braddock on Twitter, Scott Milder running in his, well, primarying Lieutenant Governor yeah. Dan Patrick on mm -hmm. the Republican side has made his way up here a few times, gathering some name recognition. You, mm -hmm. you hear people say, well, the Lieutenant Governor's not concerned about Milder, but money right. talks. Um, the Lieutenant Governor's spending some $1 million in Houston alone on TV ads mm -hmm. in his backyard. That's right. Uh, $1 million, and we actually have some updated numbers for you now. $1 million in Houston and $5 million statewide on uh, television. So if you look at where he's buying the ads, it's in Houston. It's in Dallas-Fort Worth. It's spread out across some other markets as well. Um, you know, Dallas and Houston, uh, you know, those markets are so big that you could spend about half of $5 million in each of them, uh, you know, over the course of uh, January. That's only in 30 days that he spent $5 million. Uh, and you have to think that this is not 
so much about whether or not he's in good, you know, in good position in his race. This has to do with Dan Patrick calling the shots in the uh, Republican primary more broadly. Um, you know, he's got uh, some uh, Senate races in which he wants to, you know, have an impact. If you look at some of his other spending, um, he's given money to Pat Fallon, uh, who is a Republican House member who's challenging Senator Craig Estes uh, for his seat. So the um, lieutenant governor actually supporting uh, the challenger to a sitting Republican senator. That's very unusual, uh, sort of unusual, uh, just as unusual uh, as the governor inserting himself into some of those House races that we were talking about. Um, and you also have the governor helping out people like Joan Huffman, who's uh, the state affairs chairman, uh, who's uh, down in the Houston area. Uh, and he's also helping Senator Bob Hall, who's from the Dallas area. Uh, by giving some direct contributions to uh, those senators and to that challenger I mentioned. Uh, so Dan Patrick really trying to, uh, you know, uh, sweep the field here uh, and call the shots in this Republican primary. And I think if you look forward, um, you have the po- the possibility of some runoffs in some of these races, and Dan Patrick's going to be uh, best positioned to uh, endorse certain candidates um, and try to get them across the finish line. Uh, and that's why he's uh, putting this investment out there, as, as far as I can see it. Hmm. You know, Scott, one thing I definitely want to hit on before we get you off is, you know, earlier this week and last week, it's funny, people can tell you all sorts of things about national politics now. And it was, <laughs> yeah. let me give you my take on release the memo. And somebody will talk for five minutes <laughs> at length sure. about the complexities of this memo and the Democrats' mm-hmm. memo, the Republicans' memo, everybody's memo. You know, and I'll hear that, and then I'll say, Okay, now tell me the name of two of your county commissioners. You know, just because <laughs> yeah. we think so nationally and people don't think down into what really matters. Well, there's something that a lot of people are not familiar with, and it is the State Republican Executive Committee. Uh, mm-hmm. And I quite frankly don't blame them for not being familiar with it. Tell us yeah. a little bit about who that committee is, what it does, and why they, why the censure of speaker joe strauss outgoing speaker joe strauss yeah the retiring speaker has now been quote unquote censured by the state republican executive committee the srec Uh, as some folks know and as you mentioned some folks don't know uh, the srec is sort of the governing body of the republican party of texas uh, that's, you know, the state arm of the National Republican Party. Um, and usually if they were going to censure, uh, you know, anybody who's running uh, as a Republican candidate uh, for anything, uh, be it state house or you know, Senate or whatever, uh, it would mean that they were trying to cut off funds to that person. Uh, because really being censured by the Republican Party just means that the party would not be able to uh, spend any of their resources on behalf of that person. Well, since Strauss is retiring, as you mentioned, um, it really doesn't do, it seems more symbolic to a lot of folks. So why in the world are they doing that to somebody who's not coming back? Well, uh, the theory in Austin, I think it's a good one, is that, uh, you know, you have the speaker sitting on a $10 million war chest, and in that, uh, you know, in the mix here uh, is the fact that he may be using some of that $10 million to give some support to people he calls rational Republicans, people who are running for the Texas House. Folks, we mentioned like uh, Sarah Davis, Lyle Larson, Wayne Faircloth, etc. Um, but can't you imagine the mailer, uh, for, you know, the mail piece that would show up uh, at your house that says something like, uh, you know, Speaker Strauss was censured by the Republican Party, and now Strauss supports, you know, whatever candidate. Um, it could be something that some Republican primary voters would see as 
uh, a big negative for whoever that person is who might be accepting some help from uh, from Speaker Strauss. Now, the blowback on this was pretty instant. Um, after the Republican uh, Party censured Strauss, uh, the chairman, Jim Dickey, um, on the following Monday, this past Monday, put out a statement saying that, it, look, that he didn't necessarily agree with the censure motion that he voted for. <laughs> yes, he, he said, quote, uh, this was the statement from the Is, party. Isn't, quote, isn't personal you, responsibility in the platform? Yes. Here's the quote uh, from the Republican Party. The votes cast by the chair, Dickey, and vice chair, Clark, do not necessarily represent their personal views on this matter, but were cast in a sincere effort to foster unity, heal division, and put this issue behind the RPT, the Republican Party of Texas, so that we can move forward and focus on our goal of growing the party and electing Republicans in critical races up and down the ballot in 2018. I was talking with a former SREC member, a former member of the State Republican Executive Committee, who said to me that, you know what, if you're trying to foster unity, what you probably ought to be doing is extending an olive branch, not extending your middle finger. Mm. I miss you, Tom Meckler, if you're listening. I miss you. Now, I'm sure he is. <laughs> well, there it is. You can check out all the Texas political news at quorumreport.com. He's Braddock on Texas. Thank you, buddy. Jay, I always appreciate it. Talk soon. All right. How crazy was that sitting I don't even get me started on, I mean, look, first of all, our other side of Texas has been well served by uh, Joe Strauss. I mean, we've had a great state representative via San Antonio. I agree with that. Look at what he's done with with wind energy and helping that process along, uh, what he did with public education, and even as recent as the Texas Tech Vet School. Look, Here's my theory on institutional craziness. The more innocuous the title of a part of an organization is, the more crazy it attracts. Like, I'm a United Methodist, right? And there's this thing in the United Methodist Church, like grew up in little conservative United Methodist churches in uh, West Texas and then worked in the United Methodist Church. But once you get in and you begin to learn how the parts work, like whenever I was a kid, whenever we went to the news station for the first time, I was so disappointed that (laughs) that's what it is. They make it look like such a big deal. And that's how some of these organizations uh, within larger organizations work. And so, like, United Methodist guy doesn't know, like, cattleman guy going to United Methodist Church on Sunday, has no idea that there's a thing called the General Board of Church and Society. Like, these people are social justice warriors. Like, (laughs) that guy, if he knew about the General Board of Church and Society, he wouldn't give a dollar. I, mean, I don't know what that it's, is. Uh, but it's not just United Methodist Church. It's lots of mainline churches get right. into uh, the sort of things that they advocate. And the people in the pews, those sitting there have no idea what these people are up to. The same with the State Republican Executive Committee. They, people don't understand that these people are representing them. These folks are advocating and wanting to do things that they would no way agree with and i think a lot of people by and large that you're going to kick this guy on his way out the door like he's walking out the door and you're just going to go and give him one more big kick in the rear i mean and while you do that so here's my understanding of the state republican executive committee at this point 
it's okay, apparently, to start a fisticuffs on the House floor because <laughs> you're not going to be censured, right? Yeah. And you can say that a Hispanic job can't do his job. And I can just go into all the crazy things that we've heard over the last year, and none of those things are going to get censured. Right. We're going to censure here. And I just think it's disingenuous. And, look, if it sounds from time to time like I'm overly – like I've got plenty to say about Democrats. Uh, but you got plenty to but, say about Republicans too. Well, well no, I have a lot to say. And I spend about 20% of my time because about 20% of the state is run by Democrats. So I focus on – Republicanism, and you know, this is just some hardcore. I'm going to quote my friend Brandon Darby on this because we were talking about this in a long front porch session the other night. Um, if if Republicans in this state, like people that are motivated like crazies in these organizations, are going to go after Republicans like they're going after like Four Price and Kill Seliger and Sarah Davis, and I mean, you know what the alternative is there? And let's leave Sarah Davis in Houston out. But you know what the alternative is to Ken King and to Ford Price and to Kill Seliger? What's that? Democrats. And once this state gets rid of this brand of Republicans, there won't be Republicans left to vote for because we'll all wind up living in the cities because rural interests will be completely and totally abdicated. And there we'll just vote for Democrats. That's what we'll all do. I think I'm going to have to pass on that one. <laughs> that's what could be coming. <laughs> well, that's coming. But also what's coming up, Poncho Navarez could live on the other side of the wall. A state representative, elected official, stick with us right here on the other side of Texas. Best friends with the founder of the Lubbock County Militia, you get your own radio show. It's the other side of Texas with Jay Leeson. I worked the rigs from three to midnight on the Corpus Christi Bay. I'd get off and drink till daylight. Welcome back to the other side of Texas. This segment is brought to you by Racer Car Wash. Lubbock's best wash for five years running. Sit back, relax, and know that every inch of your vehicle is going to receive the same hands-on attention as if you'd washed it yourself. Stop in at one of five convenient locations across the Hub City. The best wash around, guaranteed. See more at racerwash.com. Number one. Are you ready? you ready we will build a great wall along the southern border i say absolutely we're going to build a wall 100 percent. the u.s mexico border spans some 2,000 miles west of el paso most of that land is public but east of el paso it's private this pits property rights versus border security when we talk about building the wall poncho navarez a state representative eagle pass is on the texas border and he's right in the middle of it representative navarez thank you for coming on jay it's a pleasure i appreciate the opportunity to be able to speak to people out in lubbock and parts beyond so far away but well tell us just give us a uh, view of the border from your house? Well, I mean, I, I think I'm about, depending on where I'm standing, at least there's some spots where I'm 20 feet away from the river. So 
the river itself, and a lot of people kind of get confused, the river itself is the boundary, and it's not necessarily on the bank. It sometimes meanders through the middle of it, but I'm basically right on the river. If I, you know, warm my arm up enough, I can throw a rock and hit Mexico. So is the the proposed border route could potentially have your house, a, a state representative, an elected official, your house could be on the south side of the border wall. Sure, Jay. I'd, I'd have to give you a visa so you can come visit me. Let's climb over. Yeah. yeah and an extension you know, ladder? <laughs> yeah, a ladder and a visa, although, you know, we're not giving a lot of those away right now, Jay. Okay. Tight. But, uh, you know, essentially, if they were to build one where I'm at, it would put a lot of us that are private landowners that live right on the river on the south, or, yeah, the south side or west side of that wall and, and isolate us from our communities to a certain extent, not a certain extent, to a great extent. Yeah, with because, look, there are many facets to building the wall. And um, one of those facets that we have you on to talk about is the terrain. Um, you know that terrain. People who are for the wall may not understand that terrain. Uh, you and, got- and I think, you're right, Dan, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but you're, I think you're hitting the nail on the head. I think a lot of people that favor this idea for purposes of securing the border, they don't really understand a lot of the logistics. And, I, you know, I want to try to remove some of the the emotion, if you will, of what a wall might represent beyond, you know, the fact that it's a physical barrier. Is Let's talk about that. The train is, in particular where we're at, obviously we have the river, and I think there's a lot of natural barriers that exist. In addition, you've got a very strong border patrol presence where we're at. So I think that that does a lot to stem the tide. You've got over the last four years, and I, and I think, you know, I'm somewhat grateful to DPS for this because I think they've done a fine job, is they've got a very fine and sophisticated system of cameras that they use along the border that, in fact, the Border Patrol taps into and uses. So that's kind of a joint way that the DPS and the Border Patrol work together to secure the border. Now, you go further up west and north from my house up the river towards El Paso, and you run into some of the most inhospitable uh, terrain that you could imagine. I mean, there's some places out there where you're so remote from where anywhere is at, you might as well be on the moon. And I, I think when when people see that, they realize that there's very few natural areas where people can actually cross. And so you already know where people are going to pick their way through if they're going to come, and that's how you police it. You don't need a barrier because the terrain itself is the barrier. Well, don't need a barrier. Okay, so let me let's back off that for a second. I have been to Big Ben, uh, and I have been there whenever uh, there have been illegals who've come across, and they call that giving up. Like that's a give up. Like yeah, it's it, a give up. It's a give up. It's exactly right. So what you see, especially there, and, and if you were in the Big Ben, you might have been around an area called Reagan's uh, Canyon, and Reagan's Canyon is kind of a natural ford along the river that kind of marries up with an opening on the Mexican side uh, near Santa Elena. So it's a natural way to get across, not just on the Mexican side, but through the U.S. side. But a lot of people, by the time they get there, they're just, like you said, Jay, it's, it's give-up time because they, they, they braved a lot of hardships to get there. And it's just, you know, what else do I have to face? You know, maybe a 60-mile trek through desert, you know, cactus to get to the highway. Who knows what lies between the river and the highway. And of course, you know, by then the Border Patrol, uh, you know, Ronnie Dodson out there, a good sheriff from Bishop County, they know what's going on. They know where these people are at. So, Poncho Navarro is state representative with us here and glad to have him 
on air with us his first time here on other side of texas there are a couple other terrain issues before we get into the political issues i mean you've listed several things but you got to look at the migration of animals oh, yeah. uh, and i tend to think you even get cattlemen and ranchers involved here uh, animals don't see uh, any sort of border uh, water and water access uh, what other issues do you hear from your constituents about as this border wall talk really begins to ramp up, literally and physically? Well, no, I, from a physical standpoint, you're going to change. You know, remember, the, the delta, if you will, of the river extends, obviously, on both sides of the river, not just the Mexican side, but the U.S. side. And so you, you when there's rain and flooding, the delta fills up with water, and, it, and it's a very natural progression for where this water should go and empty in. You start building a barrier. You're going to start channeling, channeling water into places where it ordinarily would not have gone. And that's now uh, neighborhoods, uh, roads. I mean, you're altering terrain with the law that I don't think it's well thought out from a physical standpoint. You want to talk about an engineering? Yeah, you could technically build a wall there. In other words, you could figure out how to put you know, mortar, bricks, and, and stone, whatever you're going to use. But what are you going to do about the engineering aspects of channeling water uh, dealing, again, with the migration of very sensitive species and, and really upsetting the balance of private property rights in that area of the world. So, in all the look, whenever you build something, you look at impact and not just the cost of bricks and mortar. But have you seen engineering plans? Have you seen bids on uh, going in and resurveying? I mean, if we are going to create floodplains here, have, no. have we seen the cost no. to mitigate those? No, what we're seeing is you've got back when uh, 43 built the fence. You know, you, and in fact, you go to downtown Eagle Pass, we got the fence cut through part of our golf course. So George W. Bush. Shots. Yeah, George W. Bush. Mm-hmm. You got to hit tee shots sometimes over the fence. And so <laughs> they did a bunch of surveying to the east of us and south down in the, in the Rio Grande Valley and where they never built fence. And so I believe this administration, when they got in with DHS, they started combing through, through these surveys and picking out low-hanging fruit, you know, things that had been surveyed back during uh, Bush's term that hadn't been acted on. And so those were the first things that they looked at. But I, I think the reason, one reason that they didn't build fence in those places is it was ecologically sensitive. And then the other is private property interests. And, I mean, you've got, in my district, in particular my home county, you've got some very wealthy landowners that, I don't believe that there's anything that Trump can do to actually get a fence built through their part well, of, of Texas. So you think Bass Brothers, et cetera, could really stand up to this deal? Oh, yeah. No. I mean, they, they stood up to Bush, and there's nothing about Trump that tells me that he's going to best those boys. State Representative Poncho Navarez, House District 74, right there on the border, joining us here on other side of Texas. So the other side of the issue here, we've got the terrain side of the issue but then we have the political side of the issue and you said we don't need a physical barrier i'm looking at a report from the texas department of public safety and it says 243,000 uh criminal migrants have been booked in texas jails since 2011 uh Pancho, people see that and they pay for it i mean there's indigent defense there's there's the whole cost of the jailing system but they look at that and terrain doesn't they lose context of terrain they say we've got to do something and you know i could rattle through all sorts of uh cartel activity drifting up even as far up to the cap rock and uh and above with i-27 but um what do you make poncho it just seems very clear that we have to do something so what are we going to do 
Well, and I, and I think there's a lot of facets to your point and, and a lot of facets to the answer that I'm going to give you is, one, we know we've got a net drop in migration since 2000, period. Uh, and two is, I agree with you. I mean, I, you know, I saw somebody made a, made a comment, a congressman made a comment that we can't be a sovereign nation without borders. Well, we have a border, and we are a sovereign nation. Let's get that out of our head. And so, but it seems to that, people but, that there isn't a sovereign nation because we've got a sieve. Well, I mean, I, and I'll say this is there's better ways. And, and I tell you, if I thought the wall would actually solve this problem, I'd, I'd be putting up bricks right now. That's what I'd be doing is laying bricks. Right off your patio. Yeah, right there. A beautiful the view. Wall, yeah, I'd ruin it. But, I mean, it wouldn't work. I mean, I don't think this is going to work. Is I think what will work is to keep an eye on the, the idea that you can secure the border, that you can have a more, a more I don't want to call it intense, but a better presence of law enforcement on the border without a wall. I think people have to realize and put this into context. Is, and it, and it, you know, regardless if you're a Trump fan or not, and try to be as, and I'm not, but I'm going to try to be as objective about the man as I can, is as I've come to know him in his period of time he's been the president, nothing that he has done has told me that he's really put any thought into this other than just saying it on the campaign trail and then whipping people into a frenzy. So if I believe that the man had given it some real thought, and there was a time where I thought maybe he was giving it some thought because he was starting to back off a little bit. I don't know if you remember this. A few months ago he was saying, you know what, it'll be a virtual wall. Remember that? Yeah, and, and that Mexico think- was going to pay for whatever kind of wall. Yeah, and I mean, think about how silly that is, Jay. And I'm, I'm trying to be as objective as I can. It's silly. It's a silly statement. You know, if we're, if we're going to do more police enforcement along the border, we're going to pay for it. Mexico's not going to pay for it. And that's a fact. And I'm not, against, I'm not against upping the presence and creating a situation where we feel more secure. But let's not, I mean, you know, this, this business about Mexico, it's, just, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fool's errand, so, if you will. Well, okay, a fool's errand. But let me, let me just make the larger point. To me, it seems like the nucleus of this entire issue, Pancho Navarro, is, is that Mexico is a failed state. Isn't that the real issue here, that Mexico's a failed state? But, I mean, what would, what, what, and I agree with you. I, I agree that there's an, and I, You agree I, that Mexico's agree, a failed state? Yeah, I agree with you. And I'll, I'll give you an example. It is, it's very difficult for a person to get uh, asylum from Mexico. And you may be fleeing some of the worst violence imaginable and some of the worst situations that you could think of. And yet it's very, very difficult for folks, and I'm talking about journalists, even police officers that are fleeing because cartels have put hits out on them, et cetera. And the reason for that is, you know, Mexico's our largest trading partner. They're our, our literal neighbor to, neighbor to the south. And so there, there, there doesn't want to be, there doesn't seem to be this move, whether it's, and look at Trump's administration. They haven't even gone as far as saying those things. And the reason they don't is they don't want to embarrass Mexico. And that has extended through, you know, 41 through 42, 43, 44, and now you see it in this administration that talked so tough over a year ago, but they're following the same playbook when it comes to dealing with Mexico. And I understand why, because it's an economic decision. Now you wrap that into this idea about the border wall itself is, I mean, let's be smart about it. Let's not, let's not start, you know, throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And I think that's what this idea is. is it's, it is a chance to try to 
you know, placate people, and it's really not going to work. And I, I'm telling you, if I thought it would work, I'd say, yeah, do it. But it's not going to work. It, it will not work. And I, I think people will be, if, if you believe that a wall will, you know, that not one more person will cross, then you're going to live a very disappointed and bitter life because that's not the case. And so I, I think we need to be really smart about how we do this. There's ways to do it, and we certainly shouldn't pay $18 billion to do it. Uh, do me a favor, Poncho. I've got two favors to ask you, actually. Would you please uh, take a shot, a photo from your patio? Let us I see will. your view. And shoot I that will. To when, us. I, when I get back tonight from, from Austin, I'll do just that. All too. right. And then the second thing is, help me get a visa if I want to come see you in a few years. Ah, uh, Jay, I'll be bearing that. I'll send you your own ladder that will saddle that wall real easy, man. You'll be up and over in no time. Oh, I have a third one. The next time you come on the other side of Texas, uh, you're going to play us a little Buddy Holly jingle. Oh, I, I will, man. I, I, wish I, I wish I had my guitar with me right now. No, I think no. a little Maybe Baby would be appropriate right now. Hey, uh, House <laughs> District 74, a good pragmatist. We appreciate him every time he comes on. Poncho Navarez. Thank you, Poncho. Thanks, Jay. Take care, bud. Wow. We don't need a physical barrier, and he concedes Mexico's a failed state. The ever-candid Poncho Navarez. For that audio and more, you can go to othersideoftexas.com. And before I let you go, let me just tell you, I'm 38 years old now. As long as I can remember, there's been an American bank of commerce around me. The old adage is that in Abilene, there's a church on every corner. And in Lubbock, there's a bank on every corner. But there's a bank that comes to my mind that has stood on Hub City Corners by the same name for as long as I can remember. And that's ABC Bank. In starting the other side of Texas Venture, I turned to a local banking institution I could trust. They've been providing top-notch customer service and loyalty since 1962. Do what the other side of Texas did and trust ABC Bank with all your banking needs. Check them out at theabcbank.com. 1-888-902-2552. That's 1-888-902-2552. You'll be glad you did. And that does it for this edition, this first edition of The Other Side of Texas. Thank you guys for listening. Love you. And to borrow a line from the great Bob Bullock, only death will end my love affair with The Other Side of Texas. If you haven't climbed up to Enchanted Rock, drink a cold shiner down and look and bark, taking your bed. The proceeding was a production of Leeson Communications, LLC.